Good, I say it's a joy and a privilege to be with you this evening. And your minister's a very, very kind man. When he first asked me to come, it was to do the later service on the Covenanters, but then he said, well, sure, when you're coming down, might as well do the evening service as well. Well, I trust indeed that the Lord will bless us together. Quite a journey down. You're as far east as we were saying in the minister's room as you possibly can get. Go any more east and you go into the sea. Castle Derg, we're as far west as you can go. If you go any further west, then you're going to go into the Irish Republic. But I trust that the Lord will be with us, not only in this service, but then the other one to come. We're going to bow together for prayer, ask for the Lord's help. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again for the privilege of coming into thy house. Truly, we can say with the psalmist of old, I was glad. When they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. We come into thy presence, give ye thanks for thyself, the mighty God, for thy wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect. And we ask tonight, as we turn to thy precious word, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, writing the word of God indelibly upon the tables of our heart. We ask that every word that is spoken might know the endowment of the Holy Spirit with power, Lord, that you will help us to hear beyond the mortal words of man, the still small voice of the Savior, say this is the way, walk ye in it. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart will indeed be acceptable in your sight, for we ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. I'd like you to turn again in your Bible to the portion of Scripture that your minister has read to us. And the very first verse that was read was verse 33, and we're going to take that as our text for this evening. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left The theme of our message for this evening is converted or condemned at Calvary. Converted or condemned at Calvary. Calvary, of course, is a very, very important place and all roads in the Bible lead to it. To the Apostle Paul, Calvary at the cross of Christ was absolutely everything. And all other things were to him secondary. Writing to the church at Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the verse 2, he said, For I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sadly, however, the cross of Christ and his wonderful message was not welcomed by all and sadly is not welcomed by many even today. Whilst Calvary was the place of great deliverance, it was also the place of great division. To some it was the power of God unto salvation. To others it was but foolishness. Again, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. It was the place of conversion. But sadly, 
it was also the place of condemnation. You see, the Bible tells us that on Golgotha's hill, at Calvary, three crosses were erected on that particular occasion. They, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. John, speaking of Calvary, he says in his gospel in chapter 19 and verse 18, where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. So there was the cross of Christ. Then there was the cross of conversion. Then there was the cross of condemnation. The cross of condemnation was where a man, sadly, died in his sin. The cross of conversion was where, gladly, a man died to his sin. And then the cross of Christ, where the Son of Man died for sin. And as we consider the theme this evening, converted or condemned at Calvary, I trust that anyone here who does not yet know the Lord in a saving way will know that wonderful experience of salvation this day. Enjoy what one of those thieves enjoyed when Jesus said today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. First of all, we want to look at the cross of condemnation, where, as we've said, a man sadly dies in his sin. He is the unrepenting thief. The Bible describes him as a malefactor, an evildoer, one who hardened his heart against the Savior. It says in verse 39 that one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now something worth noting there about that individual and there are many things worth noting, but one of them is this, that he was near to the Savior. He was within speaking distance. He was within hearing distance. And what a golden opportunity was presented to him spiritually, but he despised the opportunity. He died in his sin died right beside the Savior who came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. In Isaiah chapter 45 and the verse 22, the Bible says, The Lord, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Look unto me. And there he was, hanging on that cross, right beside the Savior. And the Lord says, look unto me and be ye saved. The tragedy was this, that he did not look to the Savior. But sadly, he did something else. Because looking at the cross of condemnation, I want you to notice, according to verse 39, that he reeled on Christ. One of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him. That is very, very important, folks. And the word reeled 
is of tremendous significance because it carries the same meaning as the word blasphemy that is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 31, where the Lord says, Wherefore I say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So instead of looking to Christ, instead of calling upon Christ, we find that this individual is there with his very parting breath, committing the sin of blasphemy. And of course, the Bible, as we've read there, says blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven man. In other words, it is the unpardonable sin. So where one man was saved there at Calvary, this other man, he is committing the unpardonable sin. And what a tragedy when someone commits the unpardonable sin. He not only reeled on Christ there, but the Bible says that he really rejected Christ because in the verse 39, and one of the malefactors which was hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself in us. But it was physical saving that he was talking about. He was not interested in the salvation of his immortal soul. So close to the Savior. Yet he goes out into eternity in his sin. And sadly, that is the case with many people. They have been brought up from childhood days to know the scriptures and to know their need of God's salvation. And yet tonight they sit away every opportunity that God has given to them. And the tragedy is this. If they were to go into eternity tonight, they'd go into eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's important to note that in his reeling against Christ, and he does a lot of talking, but we don't read of Jesus talking to him. He used his tongue to blaspheme Christ. He used whatever energy he had to reject Christ. Which he should have used to call upon Christ for salvation. Now Jesus has nothing to say to him. How sad when anyone finally comes to that place in their life where God speaks to them no more. And that was one of the great complaints of Saul in the Old Testament. God answers me no more. But there's not only the cross of condemnation, but then there is the cross of conversion. And what a difference there is between these two malefactors. The Bible says in verse 42, He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The other man sadly dies in his sins. 
This man dies to his sin. And he was reconciled to God. I want you to notice how, first of all, he challenged his comrade in verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? It's as if he is saying to his comrade in crime, Here you are hanging on this cross. In a few moments you'll be in eternity. In a few moments your earthly life will be no more. And all you can do is rail on Christ, reject Christ, blaspheme his holy name. Man, do you not fear God? And of course you and I sadly live in an age when people do not fear God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But we must bring that down to a personal level. My friend, do you fear God? Do you fear him enough to give him his rightful place in your heart and to claim him as your saviour? How important is that question? Maybe you fear other people. Maybe you fear what people think about you. You fear what people would say about you. What would people think about you tomorrow if they heard that you got saved in this church tonight? Well, they may say it and they may laugh. But we should be more concerned about what God thinks and what God says. And you know what God says over in Proverbs chapter 1? It says, I will laugh when your fear cometh upon you. And there's many who fear what man will say tonight. But oh, what an awful day when people reject Christ, go out into eternity and hear the echo of God's laugh ringing down through the corridors of hell. You feared man, but you had no fear of God. And the Bible says in Matthew 10 and 28, and the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking himself, and he says this, and fear not them, which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friend, do you fear him? And that's what the other said to this man sending away his day of grace and his opportunity. Do you not fear God? But he not only challenges his comrade, but then we find he confesses his sin. You see, in that verse 41, it says, or verse 40, 41, the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? And there is an acknowledgement of his sin. In other words, he's saying, you and I are hanging on this cross. We are being put to death for the sins that we have committed. And justly so. 
There he's acknowledging his sin, acknowledging his wrongdoing, acknowledging his guilt, something that the other never did. My friend, have you ever acknowledged your sin before God? Ever bowed your knee in submission to his claim upon your life? Oh, the Bible reminds us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some people don't like to think that they are sinners. One day I was walking down a street in a particular town. There was a minister of another denomination. And I knew him. And he knew me. But I felt that he turned away and looked at a shop window. And I thought, he doesn't want to see me. But I crossed over the street. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, John, are you all right? And he turned round, burst into a flood of tears. He said, I'm not all right. I'll be out of my pulpit this week. Spoke of how on the Sunday night he had been preaching and had said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and pointed out the consequences of sin. And going out the door, people slapped him in the face and others said, how dare you tell us we are sinners? Friend, I'm not telling you you're a sinner tonight. The Bible says it. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for there's not a righteous man on the earth. John in his epistle says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. us. All of us are sinners by nature and by practice. But the good news of the gospel is this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John again says this in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sin, he, and note the word he. You needn't go to any pastor, priest, or anyone else and confess your sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this man is acknowledging, he's confessing his sin. We are in this predicament unjustly. And then he did something else. He called on Christ. He says in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And you know, the moment he called on Christ, he was immediately forgiven. He was immediately saved because Jesus said in the following verse, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Instantaneous conversion, my friend. You may have walked into this service In your sin and out of Christ, you can walk out of this service, saved by grace. With all your sins in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you again forever. Such is the magnitude of God's grace. 
greater than all our sin. It may rise up like a mountain that would crush your soul to hell. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. There the cross. For that man became a place of conversion. Ever confessed your sin to God? Ever called upon Jesus Christ as your Savior? But Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and the verse 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. doesn't say might or may, but shall be saved. No matter what the past has been. And the past of that individual wasn't good. That's why he's hanging on a cross. He's been put to death for the crimes and the sins that he had committed to society. But remember this. God's grace is greater than all our sin. Fanny Crosby wrote that wonderful hymn. And there's a line in it that says, The vilest offender who truly believes... This moment from Jesus, a pardon received. The vilest offender. This was one of the vilest offenders. The cross of condemnation. A man died in his sin. Right there beside the Savior. And there's people who kiss the gates of heaven. Like Lot's wife and go to hell. Then there's the cross of conversion where this man, notorious as his past was, was immediately saved by God's grace. Like Saul on the Damascus Road, traveling down that road with murder in his heart, with letters in his pocket to persecute God's people. And suddenly, God arrested him on the Damascus Road and he was Instantly sealed. How great is God's grace. And then there is the cross of Christ. Verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. The cross of Christ. Where the son of man. Died. For our sin. Why his cross was the place of substitution. Those other men were on their cross for crimes that they'd committed. Jesus Christ did not commit any sin. He was not there for any sin of his own. He was there for your sin and mine. He could stand before all the hostile leaders of his day and say, which of you can convince me of sin? And there wasn't one of them could open their mouth in honest condemnation against him. Every charge they brought against the Son of God was a false charge, and Pilate knew that because the Bible says he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when they marched Jesus in before them and they gave their evidence and Pilate summed up the case and he went out before them and he said, I find no fault in this man. And even one of these malefactors says, this man, referring to Christ, had done nothing amiss. He was a sinless, spotless, Lamb of God, knew no sin, did no sin, 
neither was guile found in his mouth. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 that he is be, God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My friend, he was crucified for us. He took our place. He paid our price. He bore the wrath of God. He took our punishment, shed his atoning blood, satisfied the demands of divine justice. Because that day, Calvary's middle tree was erected. Divine justice stepped forward and cried into the face of the Son of God, Pay me what thou owest. And Jesus paid with his very last drop of blood until justice, divine justice was satisfied. The Apostle Paul put it this way and said, The Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. Died that we might be forgiven, and died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven sealed by his precious blood. It was the place of substitution Friend, he died for you. Little wonder we read in the scriptures, is it anything to you who pass by? Behold and see, is there any sorrow like unto my sorrow that is done unto me? For no one ever sorrowed and no one ever suffered like Jesus. But it was for you. It was the place of substitution. It was the place of sacrifice. Sin, the Bible tells us, could only be atoned for by the shedding of blood. Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden could not be covered with fig leaves. When God said, Adam, where art thou? He said, I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. I was naked. Sin, if it's not dealt with, will strip you of everything that's precious. And the most precious thing you possess is your immortal soul. And sin will strip you of salvation. Leave you empty and naked before an all-seeing God. And he says, I hid myself. And that's what people try to do. Try to pull themselves around themselves, a cloak of religiosity, churchianity, and all the rest of it. But what can cover sin but the blood of Christ? Hymn writer says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9 and verse 22, the Bible says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Therefore a sacrifice was needed. God's spotless lamb became that sacrifice willingly, voluntary, went to the cross for people like you and me. Again, in Matthew 20 and 28, it says, 
even as the Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you see the value of your soul? Do you sell that cheaply to the caverns of hell? Do you sell it for a moment of sin? When the Son of God bore the wrath of God for people like you and me. P.P. Bliss wrote that wonderful hymn that all the blood of beasts and Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. And it was also the place of salvation. You see, there on the cross, Jesus purchased our redemption with his own precious blood. Or to put it into the words of Isaiah, when he said in Isaiah 55, But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Friend, you can be like the unrepentant thief. With all the privileges that you have in this little province, spiritually. Sin away your opportunity. Or you can be like the repenting thief and confess your sin and call upon Christ. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Simply coming to Christ. Could I just say in closing, friend, in God's name, don't die like the unrepentant thief. But rather like the other, bow your heart and bow your knee and call upon Christ and be saved. For that purpose, Christ shed his blood. Like that thief, all of us need to come to Christ, all of us need to come to Christ because we read in John 6 and verse 37, for Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Yes, you can come. For he has said, Him that cometh. You can call. For he said, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The cross of Christ. And every child of God has to lift their heart in gratitude and thank God for the cross of Christ and the Christ of the cross. But what a tragedy if, like the one, you don't come to Christ and are condemned for all eternity. But, friend, Jesus stands at the door of your life. He'd be your Savior. He'd save you gladly.
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. Call tonight and trust him. Do you fear God enough to do it? Then I trust this night will find you.